Welcome to Babbling Books, a podcast about books and the authors behind them. I'm your host, Lily. Follow me on Twitter at BabblingLily, that's B-A-B-B-L-I-N-G-L-I-L-Y, and subscribe to me wherever you listen to this podcast to get updates when new episodes come out, which is hopefully every other Monday. Today's interview is hosted by Oblong Books and Music, an independent bookstore in Rhinebeck, New York. Oblong has an amazing selection of books, and they're always getting new picks. Um, they have fun author picks. They have, for June, they have Pride Books. It's a really amazing bookstore with really amazing people there. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Jennifer Donnelly. She wrote several different books, including a series called the T-Rose Trilogy, the Seafire Books, and the newest, Stepsister, which is just to name a few. She can be found on Twitter and many other social media platforms at Jen Writes Books. That's J-E-N Writes Books. She also has a website, and that's jenniferdonnelly.com. Donnelly is spelled D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. Check her out on social media and on her website because she's a really amazing person. So, folks, here we have Jennifer Donnelly. So, could you tell us about Stepsister? Sure. Stepsister picks up where Cinderella leaves off, and it tells the story of the ugly stepsisters. Um, it fought, their names are Isabel and Octavia. Octavia is the older, and she is a total STEM girl. She is into math and science. Isabel is very brave and very feisty. She loves to ride horses. She loves to fence. Um, but neither girl is allowed to be or has not been allowed to be who they really are, and that is where all the trouble starts. So when did you get into writing, and how did that journey start? I got into writing first by listening to storytelling. My mom is an amazing um, verbal storyteller, and she would tell me stories about her childhood in Germany during World War II and what it was like to run from her house with um, sirens going off and planes flying overhead into a bomb shelter, only to come out hours later and find that her house and everything in it was gone. Um, She told me stories about her friends, and she told me what life was like growing up in Hitler's Germany. And uh, I think what was happening to me at that time was listening to those stories made both an historian and a novelist out of me and as soon as I could start forming words and and stringing them together into sentences I decided I wanted to write some stories of my own. So why Cinderella? Why did you pick this this fairy tale? I have always loved the story of Cinderella and I admired Cinderella and I felt sorry for her she had such a hard life but I couldn't really identify with her because she was so good and so kind and I wasn't not at five years old and she had dainty feet and I didn't and she was always smiling and um, I just couldn't see myself in her as much as I could see myself in those ugly stepsisters who who weren't so good and kind and who were kind of rude and jealous Um, so was I as a kid and who, you know, didn't want to do their chores and like to sleep in, who were sort of awkward and gawky. I really identified with that more. So um, I'd always wondered what had happened to them as a kid. And just about a year ago, I decided I had to find out. How do you motivate yourself to write every day or every other day or just consistently? Like, what is that thought process for you like? Deadlines are a big motivator. (laughs) Um, But I also really love what I do. I feel incredibly fortunate that I get to tell stories, you know, every day of my life and and make my living this way. And I get to get out of bed in the morning and meet all my imaginary friends and, and, and be with them throughout the day. So... It's that. It's that love of word and stories. Um, Even when I just love my job so much, even when I hate my job, I love my job. And I just, 
you know, I, I can't wait to sit down and start working in the morning. You talked a little bit earlier about pre-writing and how you filmed yourself mm -hmm. uh, plotting out a book. So what is your pre-writing process like? Could you go into that a little more in depth? Sure. Um, I'm kind of a neurotic writer, and, and being on deadlines all the time, I kind of have to know where I'm going. I, I can't afford the time to go off down the wrong road, so I outline extensively uh, before I actually start writing. And if your listeners want, they can go on my uh, Facebook or my Twitter page, Jen Writes Books, and this is pinned at the top. It's a video of me crawling around on my dining room table with a big sheet of paper writing out all the plot lines. So that's generally how I begin once this idea starts sparking. I want to get all the points of action down, and I want to get that movement from the beginning to the middle to the end down even if I don't know all these pieces I'm I feel very free to work from the middle to the beginning or the end to the middle as I'm feeling it I'm just writing it and then once I have those basic points down I expand them um, I would say that my outline for Stepsister was probably 40 or 50 single space pages scenes by by scene um, if I if I am seeing the world, if I'm hearing the dialogue, I put that in. And then when I'm done with that, I have kind of a flight plan. And I feel very free to, to add, subtract, to change it, to alter it as I go along. But I, it gives me the security to sit down and start writing. So you um, talked a little bit about what you read while you're writing and how it's very hard to read while you're writing. But if you do get a chance to read while you're writing, what do you read? And are you picky with that at all? For me, it's not about a genre. It's about that voice. If that voice is there in the first page, I'm gone. I'll follow that author anywhere. Um, I, I will just, you know, follow her right through 500 pages, whatever. But if it's if it's not there, you know, you know it. And I'm, I'm sure your listeners feel the same way, too. If you're not hearing that voice, if it's not grabbing you, it's it's not of interest. And I read, I'll read anything, you know, historical, fantasy, horror, graphic novels, as, as long as I, I've got that connection with the author and the characters. Thank you for talking to my listeners. Nobody does that. <laughs> um, so when you are, and at any time, what would be a few books that might be surprising for us to find on like your book stand or in your, in your bookcase, wherever you keep books? Okay. You know, like if you looked at all your books and then your bookcase, what books would we be surprised to see there? Hmm. Surprised to see? I, I, I don't know. You wouldn't be surprised to see probably a big fat one on Thomas Cromwell because I love history so much. Um, I'm reading a great one called Laughing Shall I Die. I think the author's last name is Shippy, and it's about uh, the Vikings and, and their sort of total disregard for pain and fear and death and, and sort of the way they plowed through their lives. I'm reading a great graphic novel that I love by Ali Brosh called Hyperbole and a Half. Um, I got the new one by Ali Smith called Spring when I was out on book tour. So I'm literally all over the map. I will literally read anything that catches my eye. I'm kind of like a magpie when it comes to books. Speaking of books, um, what if you were to, if you got the chance to take a time machine and um, invite a whole lot of authors over for your dinner, a dinner party, alive or dead, who would you invite? I probably, I probably, yeah, I probably hijack that time machine and just go off in it um, and go visiting them. But oh my gosh, so many um, monarchs and political figures. I the, the first one would be Elizabeth Tudor. I just so badly want to sit down at a dinner table with her. And after her, because um, she was a writer too, she she wrote um, treatises, she wrote poetry. I talked to her dad. I'd love to find out what was going on in his mind. Um, oh my gosh, James Joyce, Emily Dickinson, Walt Whitman, uh, the list is endless. That would, I would be like a kid in a candy shop if you gave me that time machine. 
Without a time machine, who would you invite? Without a time machine? Oh, my gosh. I think probably I've... Uh, um, there's a book that I love that means so much to me, and it's called The Passion by Jeanette Winterson. And she's very much alive and lives in England, and I would love to have dinner with her. So, Jeanette, if you're listening, I'll take you out. Um, what are some challenges that you've come across in your writing career, and how did you deal with them, either in publishing your books or in writing them? The biggest challenge, I would say, was getting my first book published. Um, I was in my 20s when I started it. I didn't publish it till I was in, I think, my mid-30s. Um, that was the T-Rose for grown-ups. And it was just a, a struggle teaching myself how to write a novel. I didn't have the money for, um, you know, grad school. I didn't have the time for uh, a writer's group. So I taught myself. And I wrote every morning at 4.30 before I went to work. And... Um, Ten years later, I thought what I had was a complete manuscript, and I got an agent, and we went out, and um, after I had rewritten it for another two years, and I was full of hope and very excited, and then the manuscript was rejected by pretty much every publish well, actually every publishing house we'd submitted to, and I was devastated at that point. I'd been working on this book for 12 years, watching friends get ahead in their lives and their careers, and here I am still cobbling this freelance existence together, you know, worried, have I just wasted my entire life? Happy to say, the agent, uh, his name is Simon Lipscar, resubmitted that book, and um, it was bought by a wonderful editor named Sally Kim at St. Martin's, and that night I got up on my dining room table and danced with a bottle of champagne. I was so happy. You made me cry during your writer's talk. <laughs> um, how do you do your research? Because um, I know you're a historian, so what are the ways that you do your research? And, I don't know, interesting, not interesting, how do you do it? I can give you an example for uh, Revolution, which is set in contemporary Brooklyn and also in Paris during the French Revolution. So for that, I started reading, you know, the big historical surveys like um, Citizens by Simon Schama, which is a doorstop of a book, but it gives you the entire timeline, what led up to the revolution, what it was, what were the aftermath, who were the key players, what were the significant events. And you can raid his bibliography and find, you know, primary sources that are so rich in there. So after I sort of get an idea and a clue about the period I'm writing about or the, the huge event that the French Revolution was, I start digging into those primary sources, letters, diaries, there were no photos, of course, in the late 1700s, so paintings. What did Paris look like in the 1780s? Um, what did the, the French countryside look like? What did the streets look like? like kind of being a detective and stitching this bygone world all back together again um, and then once I've done those sort of big historical surveys the primary sources I feel like I can at least navigate my way through that period so I don't know if we have too much time left my phone is dying um sorry so what is your in your opinion what is the difference between YA and adult um writing is there a difference mm. what is it I guess the, the major difference is, you know, uh, the themes, uh, using profanity, that sort of thing. But the, the similarity is you have to tell a story and you want so badly to convey what's in your heart to that reader's heart. So in, in that way, they're not that different. And that was Jennifer Donnelly. Yeah, usually at the end of these episodes, I take a little bit of time to recommend a book that's similar to the author's work that you could try if you want more similar writing. But I couldn't think of similar historical fiction slash fantasy slash all the amazing work that Jennifer does that just does it as well as she does. So instead, I'm going to take this time to talk a little bit about one of her books called Revolution. And Revolution is about grief 
and it's about the French Revolution and it's about a girl who stumbles back in time. And I found it when I was looking for a fantasy book and I don't usually read a lot of historical fiction. But I really, really enjoyed this book. I wasn't really sure why at first, but a lot of the themes really hit home with me. Um, I have a younger brother and the main character's younger brother had recently died and maybe that was one of the things that resonated so strongly with me. So why ever I liked it, this book has such beautifully and fully realized characters. It has beautifully written prose. It has details of the French Revolution and details in the places that this main character goes that just astound me. Like, I don't want to live in the French Revolution, but with Jennifer's books, I feel like I am. And I guess I, I would want to with Jennifer. It's a beautiful book, and I recommend going to your nearest bookstore, see if they have it. If they don't, order on Amazon. It's really, really good, and it's just an amazing read. Thank you for listening to Babbling Books. I'm glad you joined me.